You know, I was talking to someone yesterday, and um, something I touched on in talking to them that I believe is true, and I thank God for it, that the simple, simple thing about uh, salvation and experiencing the goodness of God, the simple, simple thing about that is how much you make yourself available to God. That's the, sim- that's the simplest thing I can tell you. That a lot of times the difference will always be how much do I make myself available to the Lord. It's not how, ma- how much talent do I have. It's not how long I've been in church. It's not how smart I am, how much education I have. It's none of that. It's how much I yield myself to Jesus will determine what happens in my life. And so if you, you might say, well, how did that person get this, but this one didn't? Because that person yielded themselves more to the Lord. This is why the Lord is looking for people that are available. What he says, availability is your best ability. Availability is your best ability. Because all the other abilities, God gave you that. So you can't brag about any ability that you have or talent that you have because they came from the Lord. But if you will make yourself available to the Lord, then he will do something with that ability that he has given you. Somebody say amen. We're going to talk about the attitude of worship. The attitude. I love to talk about worship. I love to talk about praise. I love to talk about a lot of things about concerning the Lord. But I got to say, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into the word of God regarding the attitude of praise. And so our scripture focus is Psalms 95 verse 6. Psalms 95 verse 6 is our scripture focus. And the word of the Lord says in Psalms 95 verse number 6, Oh, come! Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Question, how often do we come to church on a Sunday and we see people bow and kneel before the Lord? How often do we see that? How often do we come before the Lord, come to the altar? Uh, Come doesn't mean stay in your seat. Come means I got to move from where I am and approach the Lord. How often do we do that? Approach him, bow before him, and worship him. I have about three instances that deal with worship that I want to talk about tonight. I'm not sure if I will get to all three, but there are about three instances of worship that's very, very important and and, and help us to understand how meaningful worship really is. So the first instance is in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 22. The word of the Lord says, And behold, a woman of Canaan, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. 
So her daughter was demon-possessed, and she seek the Lord Jesus and cried to him and asked him to have mercy on her. Verse 23. But he, talking about the Lord, answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he, Jesus, answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast, to, and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth. Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fell from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. A lot of times we read and we say, my goodness, the Lord Jesus called a woman a dog. And you can say it in some respect. That's kind of what he was saying. But I read this again, and I said, we could say that, but I took it as this way. When Jesus walked the earth, he always taught in parables. And he was just making a point in parable for us to understand his mission. And so what he was saying is my priority is that I go to the house of Israel and deal with them first. Once I'm done with them, I will go to the others and deal with them. And so what he was in essence saying to this woman is, I am going to take care of the children. Because when you're talking about a specific group of people he's going to, he said, I'm going to take care of these children over here. And so what I have for them is for them because you wouldn't like for me to give your stuff to somebody else. And so he's saying, I'm going to give them what, deserve, what, what, what belongs to them. And, and she said, and, and that's when he says, I can't take the food of the dogs and give, take the food of the children to give to the dogs. And all he's saying is, just think about that in real life. So forget about the text now that we get lost and we say Jesus called her dog. Just think about that in real life. For, for a lot of you that are foreigners, you understand that we didn't have kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits back home. And so we gave the dogs the food we ate. Right? So after we're done eating, we, and we put it by the door and the dog come up and the dog eat what you just ate. So just picture that, that you had food and you didn't eat it. You just said, let me just give my dinner to the dog. That, that makes no sense. And that's what Jesus was saying, that you can't take folks' stuff that belong to them and give it to the dog. It's supposed to be theirs. And so that's what he was in essence saying to this woman, that I got to take it to children's stuff. And the woman said, yeah, now here's a good one. When you have a really good dog that's not wild and crazy, you let him in the house. And that dog that's not wild and crazy, he sit by your feet under the table while you're eating. And some of y'all nice, good people will let the crumbs be bigger than normal. So the dog can get something to eat while you're eating too. 
So that woman understood that kind of thing. And she said, well, don't the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the people's table? And Jesus said, you got me. Do we say to people sometimes when they come at us with a good situation, you got me? Or do we try to still be hard? Because that's what in essence took place. Jesus gave her a scenario and she said, true Lord, but don't the crumbs fall from the table of the children and the dogs can get that? And he says, you got me. And that changes the whole equation. We'll get into that a little bit more. As Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon or Sidon, whichever way you want to say it, this woman whose daughter had been possessed with a devil found Jesus and fell down to worship him. Her worship was voiced as a desperate cry, desperate cry from a mother's broken heart for deliverance of her daughter. A lot of times I read it, I read things in the Bible and I realize one of the big difference between what we're reading and what we're experiencing in our real life is when they went after something, it's because they were desperate. And us today, I don't think we have anything in our life that we can say we're desperate for. We don't even act desperate for eternal life. Because that's the one thing we're all desperate for. All of us are desperate for eternal life. All of us are desperate for Jesus. But other than that, we're not desperate for anything else. And so our approach to church, altar call, the things of God, is casual because we're not desperate. And so this woman approached Jesus in a desperate manner. But in that moment of her desperation... She worshipped God. She was so desperate that she worshipped God. But as she worshipped him, heaven was silent and she seemed to have been ignored. That's heavy. Even though we know Jesus wasn't really ignoring her, even though we know he was going to respond to her, At the very moment of her worship, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Jesus said unto her, let the children be filled. For it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dog. Jesus told her he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She was not from Israel. She was not the right ethnicity. She didn't have the right heritage, but her faith, somebody say faith, pushed her to believe God could step beyond his own boundaries. I can't tell you how powerful faith really is. You have to experience it for yourself. When you grab a hold of faith and you have complete trust in God because you know who he is, then it changes the way you operate. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat whatever crumbs and scraps that fall from the table where the children are eating. If all you have are crumbs, I will take those crumbs. Crumbs from Jesus' table 
is better than filet mignon from anybody else's table. And I love me some filet mignon. I love me some cowboy steak. Just give me a good steak. Give me something good to just meet to my bones. But crumbs from Jesus' table is still better than the best meal you can ever have at from somebody else's table. Mm-hmm. At that moment, something arrested the plan of God. When when God understood that I'm 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 supposed to go to the children, not for anyone else right now. But when she worshipped him, something caused him to respond. Ma'am, you are filled with great faith. Faith has to be in your life. Faith make you know that no matter what, God can do it. Faith make you say, I don't care what I'm dealing with, God can do it. Faith make you say, no matter what I'm going through, God will take me through. I will be fine. Sometimes the situation makes you get so weary and worried and you feel like it's all going to come to an end and it's going to crash. But you got to say, but I know who God is and what he can do. Brother Chuby told me about, uh, I don't know if it was in 2018 when we did um, did the... Um, we were recognizing those that were in the healthcare physician, the healthcare um, department, or just involved in healthcare. Appreciation Sunday. And we were honoring those that were in the healthcare industry. And I don't know if you remember, really tall guy was sitting in the front. Him and his wife were sitting in the front. And after church, we were able to talk to him and really nice guy and he wanted to come back to church and he says man I really like this this was great uh you know you just preached and explained the word of God where I get understanding and I'm certainly going to come back I said we'll love to have you come back and this guy recently had a stroke or a heart attack and he's in the hospital and he's just a mess and they're planning for his burial he is not dead yet but in their mind his wife and everybody else is like he's done and I'm going to try to get by there because faith tell me that I don't care if he's dead when I get there. If God wants to raise him up, God will raise him up. We got to have that kind of faith to know that God really does the impossible. We've been, we've been too familiar with the things of God. We come to church and just deal with this, you know, God and just make it an ordinary thing and forget that God really does. The impossible. Man, we got to believe that. Not believe it, not just say it out of our mouths, but we got to believe that God, I don't care. The woman with the issue of blood, she had that, that sickness for many years. So sometimes we put time on when we think, why can't God do this? It's been so long. Just stick in there and trust God. I don't care how, it, how long it's been. God can do it. He's able. So he said, your prayer has been answered. At that moment, the woman's daughter was healed. It was her attitude of worship that grabs heaven's attention, that grabbed heaven's attention, and her attitude of persistence, her attitude of humility, and her attitude of reverence for the Lord. I think 
those three things are things we need to adopt into our life, into our vocabulary. Persistence, humility, and reverence. We can't give up because we tried a couple times and no response from God. We can't give up because we kept praying about it and God is not doing anything about it. We can't give up. And at the same time, we can't be haughty because we think that we're entitled. I'm a child of God. Why ain't God doing it? We can't operate in, by entitlement. We have to be humble. Humility and entitlement don't go together. You're either going to be humble and trust God or you're just going to be arrogant and, and, and think that you're entitled. But we have to be persistent. We have to be humble. And we have to reverence God. We have to reverence God. We have to reverence his presence. When we know we come together and we're getting ready to worship, when we sing, when we, when we praise him, we have to reverence his presence. We have to know that God's presence is here. And when God's presence is, is manifested where you know it for sure, you got to do something. All rise. That's a man that went to school, got a degree, studied hard, pushed himself or herself, and became a judge with a lot of flaws in their life. Probably judging people for stuff that they probably did. But when they walk in that room in that black robe, all rise. And if you don't rise up, you can possibly get in trouble. So it tells us that when royalty or when authority come among us, we got to respond. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the king of kings. What, Harry not a king, is he? Harry is a prince. And I'm sure when Harry come around, people reverence Harry. Uh-huh. And so the point is, when royalty come around us or when authority come around us, we have to react. We have to do something. Well, when we sense the presence of God, what do we do? When we sense the presence of God, why don't we say, God, I can sense your presence is here. I lift my hands to you and I worship you. I bow before you because you're here. And God, we're so privileged to have the great God, the master and designer of this universe, the one that breathed breath into my nostril and I became a living human. I worship you, oh God, that takes faith and that, 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 that takes trust and believing and knowing uh, that God is really here uh, and, and, and he, is, he is seeing, he is understanding uh, what's going on in my heart when I think about him uh, and how I reverence him. Uh, our faith has to drive us to get to the place of worship. Are we concerned about other people, what they think about us? Why don't we do that when we sense the presence of God is here? Why don't we just shout? Why don't we run? Why don't we sing? Why don't we dance? What's holding us back when we know the presence of God is here, but we have to stand when we go to court? But we have to, we have to do something when we go places where royalty is. Why we will allow ourselves to be 
moved to do things like that, but we won't do it for the one who is everything. Can't we, can we just get to the place where now we're saying, you know what? I heard what the preacher said tonight. I see what the word of God says. I am just going to make sure no matter what is going on, when I sense the presence of God, I'm just going to worship him. When I sense the presence of God, I'm just going to praise him. When I sense the presence of God, I'm just going to honor him because he deserves it. I can't live with myself knowing I got to stand for the judge. I can't live with myself knowing if the president of the United States came into the room, they would have to make me do something to give some kind of attention to him. And I can't just do it for my God. I can't stand for that. Been to court too many times and I had to stand. You go places and when they play the national anthem or they sing the national anthem, the right thing to do is to stand. What should I do in reverencing my God, his presence? She came to Jesus not demanding that he act. She didn't come to Jesus with entitlement attitude. But placing herself at his mercy... And that attitude moved Jesus and moved heaven. When we place ourselves at his mercy. Another secret in how you deal with God. I can't, Lord, but I know you can. But that don't mean you don't worship. The attitude of worship have to come in with that, knowing you can't, but he can. You ever watch a defenseless person and you ever see Danger coming to a defenseless person. What do you do? And if you're a half-decent person and you see danger coming to a defenseless person, you're going to do something about it. Well, you don't compare to God. So you think God is going to let you be defenseless and leave you in that state? Or do you think he's going to get involved and make sure you're all good? It's when we think we don't need God that he, all right. You don't need me. I'll let you be. When have we ever been desperate for something? We are, we have to tell ourselves, I am desperate to have Jesus in my life and I'm desperate for eternal life. We may not be desperate because we're hungry. We, we may not be desperate because we're broke. We may not be desperate because we don't have the best car we, we desire. We, not be, we may not be desperate because we have all the nice clothes and jewelry and whatever we like. We may not be desperate for those things. But make no mistake about it. We're desperate to have Jesus in our life. We're desperate to have eternal life. And no matter what, we have to live our life like we are desperate to have Jesus in our life. And we don't want to let him go. And we don't want to live a day, a minute, a second, an hour without Jesus in our life. We have to live our life desperate that way when we're pertaining to Jesus Christ. When was the last time you've been desperate? And, and that speaks a lot on its own. Because we, we, we're just not desperate people. We don't know how to act desperate. We're not. We have to be honest. What are we desperate for? Nothing. So we might not know how to act desperate. Huh. 
I'll tell you one thing. Get around some desperate people and tell the desperate people what needs to be done for them to do so they can be okay and see what happens. Tell some desperate people some things that they can do to get themselves together and see what happens. How can desperation affect our attitude and actions? Now, what you do while you're desperate is very important. Imagine the scene of the previous story, a silent heaven waiting when the need is urgent. So heaven is just silent. Jesus is not moving, but you are desperate and you're in there's urgency in your life. You feel like God is postponing what needs to get done and you're just desperate. Mm -hmm. The need is urgent. Postponement when family issues are getting worse. What would we do in such a crisis? We must do what this woman did and worship through heaven silence. So while we're not hearing from God, we need to still worship. While we're waiting to hear from God, while we're waiting for God to do something, we need to worship. And that's hard for us. We say we're, we just operate like spoiled children. If I ain't getting it, I ain't doing nothing. Fold our arms. God, if you don't do nothing. But guess what? You can't make God do anything. You can fold your arms and poke out your lips and be all upset all you want and try to get all intellectual. I don't see how God, who says he's almighty and knows everything, I don't see how. You can go ahead and fold your arm and say that. Because the only the easy answer to that is he's God and you're not. That's how. That's the easy answer. I'm not giving you no whole explanation. I don't, I don't try sometimes to explain what God is doing because I don't know what God is always doing. So the only answer I can give some people sometimes is he's God and we're not. All we can do is have faith and worship him. Yeah. As life worsens, worship must deepen. As life worsens, as it gets worse and worse, our worship needs to go deeper and deeper. But what do we do? As life gets worse and worse, we get more weary and more weary, and we start doing less and less. We got to be honest with ourselves that a lot of times as life gets worse, we miss church. As life gets worse, we don't talk to people as much. As life gets worse, we don't worship as much. As life gets worse, we don't read as much. As life gets worse, we don't pray as much. Tell me, how is that the recipe for things to get better? Tell me how that's the recipe. That's not the recipe. Nothing changes. God is not going to respond to you pouting, folding your arms, being angry, and saying, I'm not doing nothing till you do something. As it gets worse, we need to get deeper in it. The disposition of your attitude has everything to do with God moving. And so your attitude of worship will have him move. But your attitude of rebellion will cause him to say, not moving. So Jesus prioritized his ministry and said, the children, the Jews, were the ones that I was going to go to first. 
Can we continue worshiping God when Jesus is working miracles in other people's life? Or do we talk about them? When we see blessings flowing in somebody's life, do we worship God and praise him and say, Lord, go ahead and do your thing? Or do we sit there and say, I go to church more than them. I don't see how they could be blessed. That can't be no blessing from God. Because I know I worship more than them. I know I praise more than them. And so I can't see how they're getting blessed like that. Can we worship if, in fact, things may get worse? Here is where many worshipers quit, get angry, feel mistreated, complain, and criticize. Persistent worship that Jesus called great faith is the way to go as things get bad. Jesus called persistent worship great faith. Why? Because you have to have great faith to keep worshiping a God that you can't see and your problems are getting worse. You can't see this God that you say is almighty and he's the creator. And that you're praying to him and nothing is changing. You're worshiping him and nothing is changing. You have to have great faith to say, I'm going to worship him no matter what. I'm going to praise him no matter what. Because I know he loves me. I know he's able and capable. I know he will never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to worship him no matter what. That's what we should do, and that's what he deserves. But it still comes back to how much do you feel appreciative and desperate for eternal life? Because we're starting to treat eternal life like we are entitled to it. I was born again, got baptized in Jesus' name. I'm filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I talk in tongues. I read my Bible. I praise the Lord. I live a holy and righteous lifestyle. I'm entitled to eternal life. No, we're not. We're not entitled to it because he made a way for us. He made a way. We all should have died when we first sinned because he said, the soul that sinned shall surely die. So we all should have died when we sinned because we shouldn't have lived because he said, the soul that sinned shall surely die. So we can never think we are entitled to eternal life because we followed what he said we should follow for the born-again experience. No, we must be persistent in knowing who he is and just keep on worshiping him, keep on praising him. We, we can't let situations cause us to badmouth people that mess up your blessing, that mess up, what, that mess up your disposition still. So, so, so trying to hold on to just worshiping and praising God but criticizing others don't get you anywhere because it's messing up your disposition. You won't obtain great faith. Twice in Scripture, Jesus recognized someone as having great faith. Two times he says, you have great faith. One is this woman that we've read about. The other one is this centurion soldier that I will share with you in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Verse number 5 says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord! My servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. That tells me 
that guy approached Jesus with a certain kind of attitude of worship. Because he just, he just, Lord! And when he said it, Jesus didn't hesitate. In this particular case, Jesus said, I'm going to come. Heaven wasn't silent. Jesus didn't wait. He didn't prolong anything. He just says, I'm going to come. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Huh. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. This man made Jesus marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. Here we go, great faith. No, not in Israel. The attitude of this centurion soldier was reverence. It was, it was faith and then reverence. And God says, I have never seen so great faith in all of Israel. This man made Jesus Christ marveled. As a matter of fact, there were disciples with Jesus. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said to them, I have not seen great faith. So what he was saying is, that dude faith is even stronger than y'all's. Notice the approach of this man and notice the approach of the woman. They went to Jesus with an attitude of worship. Jesus never turned down anyone who approached him in an attitude of worship. So not just asking God to do something, but how you ask him. Now we're getting somewhere. How you ask him will determine what kind of response you will get. Why did the woman we read about previously, why did that woman constitute a great faith? She worshipped beyond a negative past. She worshipped in spite of silence. She worshipped in the face of family crisis. She worshipped through cultural prejudice and being compared to a dog. She worshipped when the devil mocked her and controlled her daughter. Her worship could not be ignored, and heaven's silence broke. Jesus' response was, be it unto thee. How did she and how do we go from earthly crumbs to heavenly crown? An attitude of worship. We have to live with the attitude of persistent Worship. What is persistence? Persistence is a continued existence or occurrence. Why is this a necessary trait in worship? Persistence. Why is that? Here's why. There are always obstacles in the way of our worship. As the church grow and we get our building, you're going to start to have complaints like, he's just so loud. He just worships so crazy. And I cannot sit behind her with that big hat. And the praise singers was off key this morning. And the drummer, he just beat like he like going crazy. 
these things will become a factor when we move from here and we grow a little bit. We will begin to see things and start to make those things our obstacles. I would have worshipped, but man, I wanted to start running. Sylvia liked to run. I wanted to start running like Sylvia, but man, the kids just, the kids, just too many kids. Obstacles to our worship. We're supposed to worship God, but we're coming up with all these excuses as to why we can't worship God. Obstacles. But if you're persistent, you won't worry about anything. You worry, won't worry about the singing being off or the kids just wild or the drummer can't play or the praise singers off. You won't worry about a thing. All you know is I'm going to worship him because I know who he is. I'm going to worship him because he's been good to me. I'm going to worship him because no matter what I'm going through, he's going to see me through. I'm going to worship him because of who he is. We just got to worship him. Doesn't matter what we're dealing with. Just worship him. I know this this is really hard and you've heard me say it before, but this is kind of how I do the devil and so I get the last laugh from the devil. So Tony, this is how I think in my mind. You can always know this is in my mind. Devil, think about this devil. While I'm living, I'm giving it all to Jesus. And if I just end up dead, or I die, guess what? I'm better off anyway. So which way you want to go, devil? Just tell me which way you want to go, bro. Because I'm good whichever way we want to go. And we can't, be, we, can't be, we can't be afraid of that. Mama, if I live, I'm in Christ. And if I die, I'm in eternity in the presence of God. I can't lose no matter which way you spin it. So what you want to do, devil? You have to really believe that. And once you get a hold of that and you believe that, you don't worry about a thing. You're going to worship him. You're going to praise him. You're going to worship him and honor him because it doesn't matter what happens in your life. No matter what, it's Jesus. If I'm living, it's Jesus. If I'm sick, it's Jesus. If I die, it's Jesus. What you want to do, devil? It's Jesus no matter what. You live like that, what kind of ammunition he got on you? You can't blackmail us, devil. People might try to blackmail you. The devil can't blackmail you. People can't blackmail you. Just says, what you going to do? What you going to do? And if you bring up my mistakes and bring up my flaws and bring up my faults, I repented and Jesus forgave me. It's under the blood, devil. You can't lose. That's why we just have to be persistent in worship. We are in a great situation. We are in a great spot. We just got to know it and act like it. We got to act like it. We can't make this life seem like it's how sometimes we make it out to be. There are always obstacles in our way. But we have to be persistent. This lady... She is better known as the worshiper who took crumbs from the master and ended with a miracle. When all you have is a handful of crumbs, are you persistent enough to not quit 
until your worship becomes your witness. What they say? The place where she was from, Tyre, belonged to ancient ancient um, Phoenicians, and the most prominent women from Phoenicia in the Old Testament, the most prominent woman was wicked Jezebel. The label and stigma of being from Phoenicia had a long, dark, negative connotation. Was it unfair? Yes. Did this woman constantly live under dark shadow of the place from which she was from? Yes. Could she have been judged and discriminated against? Yes. Would this be enough to keep most people isolated and confined in their house of insecurity? Uh huh. So all of this stuff that this lady had against her, she just needed was to stay in the house. The woman... That Jesus met at the well, look at her. She was, she felt so ashamed of her life that she was going to the well when nobody else was going there. Our, our shame and our mistakes and our insecurities make us fold up tent and make us stay hidden. And that's not what Jesus wants from us. Jesus wants us to worship him no matter what you had been through, no matter what you had done wrong. Jesus said, just worship me. Don't you worry about anybody else. Just worship me. Don't you worry about what they say about you. Just worship me. Don't worry about how they treat you. Just worship me. Oh, man. Just worship him. Just worship him. These obstacles could have sure enough stopped her, but she didn't let it stop her. She was persistent. Because God is always worthy of praise, we must display the proper attitude of worship. Huh. Why do you think bowing and kneeling are important posture of worship? Worship demands action. The psalmist used the word come in his invitation to worship. According to Merriam-Webster, the word come means to move towards something, to move or journey to a vicinity with specific purpose. Biblical worship is intentional movement towards God with a specific purpose. So in case we missed it, when we have altar call, altar call Along with some other things, you can begin to look at it now as I'm going towards Jesus to worship him. Listen, you can be healed without anybody praying for you. All you got to do is just move towards Jesus. You can receive the Holy Ghost without anybody praying for you. All because you move towards Jesus. This altar call that we have when we have church and we say, come that's your opportunity to worship the Lord. Remember, while the preacher is preaching, you're not worshiping the Lord. Yeah, we have a few people that do worship while the preaching is going on, but very few people are worshiping God while the preaching is going on. When the preaching is going on, people are absorbing what is being taught, what they're receiving. They're receiving it and getting understanding of it so they can go and live it out. So they're usually not worshiping God during that time. But if you allow the word of God to affect your heart, now when the sermon is over, you go forward to go worship your God that you just heard preached about.
That, that's what we're doing. And so when we sit in our seats, we're not moving towards him. And I'll say this. This might not be the very best example, but the Bible says faith without works is dead. And I like to put a little bit of action in whatever I say I believe. Whatever faith that I have, I got to put some works in it. And so the bottom line is when I heard or if I hear when I'm in the audience and I hear the word of God preach, I'm going forward because I'm, I'm moving towards God. I'm doing something to say, God, I heard your word. I have faith and I'm going to respond to it. I just don't sit there and say, well, I know God knows. I never do that. I, I, don't, I don't like that. God knows. There's a lot of things God knows. That maybe sometimes that's why we don't worship because we, we just want to keep our attitude. Huh? Is that sometimes why we don't worship? Because we want to keep our attitude? Because every time you truly worship God, your attitude gets adjusted. You have a great time in, a, in, in, this, in, in service and you worship God. You know you left out of church that day different than when you came in. Because your attitude gets adjusted when you worship God. Your attitude gets adjusted when you enter into the presence of God. Uh-huh. Worship is not a platform to display one's talent, oratory skills, or ability. True worship is about an altar, sacrifice, bowing and kneeling. True worship involves humility. Again, when was the last time you walked to the altar and you bowed your knees and you worshiped God? I'm not talking about for nobody to see the show. I'm not talking about doing what you know looks good. I'm talking about you really doing what God is enjoying from you because you're worshiping him. Worship is introduced to us in the lives of two men with glaring different worship attitude. I mean, he's going to do anything about it. And one, um, let's see here. All right, let me finish this up. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought up the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought up the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Worship reveals the true contents of the heart. Maybe again, that's why we don't worship. Because whatever is in your heart is in your heart, and that prevents you from worshiping. There is a fundamental principle established in this narrative. It is best addressed with a question. Do I offer God my best, or does he get my leftovers? What do you think of when, you're, when you hear that question? Abel slowly walked. Listen to this. I love this. Abel slowly walked 
through his field and made a mental note of the healthiest and strongest lamb in his flock. When he spotted the choicest lamb, he singled it out and deep within his heart said, I will sacrifice you my best to honor my creator. Something just came to mind and I'll just give it to you. This is why God wants the first tenth of everything you have. It's your very best. So if you get paid a hundred dollars and you spend, 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 and you get down to thirty, oh that's right. I gotta give God ten percent. And you go and give God ten dollars, you didn't give him your best. You gave him leftovers. He wants the first tenth. He wants your very best. Just thought I'd throw that in. That came to my mind, so I throw that in. The biblical attitude of worship is always being willing to surrender the best of what we have and not leave anything in reserve. When we surrender our hearts to God, Negative attitudes and works of the flesh must not go back to the field with us. Selfish ambition, jealousy, gossip, ulterior motives, the desire to be seen and heard, unholy anger, because anger is not always unholy, but it can be. Hatred, division, and many other carnal traps must be the kindling that ignites a holy fire of worship in the church, and in our lives. Cain, on the other hand, chose what was easy and did not bring his very best. Cain chose what was easy and did not bring his very best. His attitude towards sacrificial worship revealed the contents of his heart. So even if we didn't know what was going on with Cain, eventually we found out. In Cain and Abel, the entire human race is forced to choose one or two worship attitudes. Sacrificial worship or selfish worship. So we can worship God selfishly. We can worship God just to say, look what I'm doing. We can worship God just so people can see what we're doing. Sacrificial worship says, I am here for the kingdom and I commit to giving my best. To the kingdom. Selfish worship says the kingdom is here for me and must give its best to make me happy. So when you're coming to church, hear me now. If you're looking for the church to do for you as opposed to you doing for the church, something is wrong. You don't have to look for the church to do to you, do for you, because God says this. Oh, no man, nothing. Whatsoever you sow, you also will reap. So I don't have to worry about what I will receive or not receive. All I have to do is do what I'm supposed to, and automatically whatever I put out will come back to me. I can't say this enough. You will be treated how you treat people. I know that's a tough one because you might say, man, people treat me bad all the time. A lot of people treat me bad. I don't know what to tell you. Other than this, you will be treated how you treat people. Now, you're not always going to be treated the best. 
Those things will sprinkle in where people treat you wrong. But if most people that you encounter treat you wrong, you better go to God and pray and ask why. Because it might be you have treated a lot of people wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not telling you you can be a good individual, treat everybody good. I'm not telling you somebody not going to come your way and treat you wrong. You will get the occasional person that's going to treat you wrong. But I can't base ever so often when an occasional person treat me bad. I can't say, oh, everybody's just mean to me. Oh, everybody treat No, a few people does that. But I'm not going to be mad at everybody because a couple people every once in a while treat me bad. That's their business. And sometimes, as I said, God allowed them to treat me that way, that something that might be in me that don't belong need to come out anyway. So I'm okay with when a few people here and there would come and treat me a certain way. It makes me have to check myself. Okay, Lord, there's something in me that needs to come out. Thank you, Jesus. But you will be treated how you treat people. It's just the way it is. The kingdom is here for me. And must give its best to make me happy. That's how Cain operated. Cain brought a bloodless offering from the cursed ground. Cain's public display of worship was secretly laced with self-righteousness. It is the ground or origin of our worship that God inspects. From this inspection of worship, the Bible tells us God respected Abel's worship, but he could not respect what Cain had offered. Of these two men, which do you picture bowing down and kneeling to worship? Which one created his own ground and origin of worship? Which one followed biblical pattern of worship, origin of matter? God specified a pattern for sacrificial worship when an offering was provided to cover man's sin and nakedness. Blood was required to make atonement for man. The origin of worship was centered on a substitutionary offering that provided life out of death. There was no atonement through the blood that produced an unmistakable unity, and there was a restoration of broken relationship that stood as a witness of supernatural power. When you worship God, it's going to have an effect on your relationship with God. When you worship God, it's going to have an effect on your relationship with others. Don't get quiet on me. If I'm worshiping God, it's going to make me see people differently. Mm. Worshiping God can have dysfunctional relationships get restored. It can display a new identity as worshipers offer to God thanksgiving that all past sins and failures have been covered. Worship and relationships are inseparable. You can't worship God and not have a relationship with him. So if you bow down every Sunday at the altar, but you don't have a relationship with God, then you're just doing it for other reasons other than worshiping God. Our worship is not right because of how demonstrative we are, how much we give, or how long we engage in practices of praise, such as singing, praying, or involvement in ministry. Our worship is biblically right when God is honored and the body of Christ is unified. (laughs) All right, let me finish up here. 
Worshiping God is not random or aimless. Worship takes a direction as take a direction and result in change. It is not a style of music or a certain social status. It is not rubbing shoulders with someone who can advance personal kingdom. In fact, true worship will destroy personal kingdoms. When worship is directed towards Jesus Christ and we worship him in spirit and in truth and change in our attitude, then change in our attitude will occur that affects relationships. So when you're worshiping God, your attitude gets so impacted that it will cause change in your relationship with others. Mm -hmm. When worship fails to remove hatred in the heart, apostasy suddenly lurks around the corner. It is not that Cain did not worship. He attended worship service. The problem is his worship was self-created worship. When the devil took Jesus up in the high mountain and showed him the vast kingdoms of the world, he offered Jesus power and glory if Jesus would worship him. Obtaining kingdoms, sitting on top of the mountain, looking down on others and wielding power and glory have taken down many mighty men. Jesus was not one of them. His answer to the devil gives us insight to the end result of worship. So the devil wanted Jesus to worship him for his own self-gratification. When you are worshiping God for your own self-gratification, it's not real worship. Remember I told you God asked us to worship him, not for gratification, but for our own good. Because we're going to worship something, somebody, somewhere. We're going to worship because God created us that way. And so in order for us to know that our life will be safe and sound in the hand of God, God has no ulterior motive. God say, worship me because whatever you worship, it empowers you. Whatever you worship consumes you. And if if you worship God, God will consume you. If you worship God, God will empower you. And that's what God wants for your life. Listen to this. Who we worship is who we will ultimately serve. Who we worship is who we will ultimately serve. If you worship yourself, you serve yourself. If you worship your children, you serve your children. If you worship your job, you serve your job. If you worship your husband, you serve your husband. If you worship your wife, you serve your wife. Now you're supposed to serve them. So don't get that all twisted. Take care of each other. <laughs> uh, our worship is to the Lord. We gladly serve him and his kingdom. Sacrificial worship unashamedly turns us into servants of God. Being selfless and sacrificial are proper attitudes of worship. How do you see worship differently because of this lesson tonight? What do you think about worship because of this lesson tonight? What's your thoughts about worship because of this lesson tonight? An attitude of worship. It really got me when it talked about Cain and Abel. Because Cain, he presented his offering 
like it was worship. He went through the motion. He never really worshipped. Because you can't worship God and then later on kill somebody. So how do you worship and go kill right after? You didn't really worship. So no matter what, you just know Cain was going through the motion. And if we come to church and we worship God and we go outside and do crazy things, we just went through the motion. So that really, with all three different um, instances that we talked about tonight, that really uh, bothered me a lot because I got to make sure I'm really worshiping the Lord, that I'm not just going through the motions because I've been living for God for a long time. I know the word of God, so I know what to do. I don't want to do that. I want to really sincerely. That's why when we started tonight, I said, I'm praying sincerely. I'm praying for the power of God to move me because I don't want to become so familiar with the things of God that I just go through the motions. I don't want to come to church and just do the things that we know we're supposed to do. Clap our hands, do our little, you know, rocking, whatever we do, and say we went to church today. No, no, no. I want to know that I worship God. And I think we need to say to ourselves, every one of us here, I will not let a day come where I go to church and I don't worship God. We really need to say that to ourselves. I will never let a day come where I go to church and I did not worship God. Because if I do that, then my life was not changed. I was not touched. Nothing happened. I waste that time. So I got to say to myself, every time I come in the house of the Lord, before I leave, I'm going to worship God. If the pastor had a bad day and he couldn't preach nothing good that day, I'm going to worship God. If the singers sang and they just couldn't get me moving, they were anointed i'm gonna worship god i'm not leaving his house until i worship him i'm not leaving his house until i worship him and we need to make that pact with us ourselves, and god that god i will never anymore come in your house and leave without worshiping you father in the name of jesus we thank you for an attitude of worship god let everything that was talked about in this meeting in this Bible study, really go into our soul and into our spirit. Let it, almighty God, become a part of us. That now, Lord, from this day on, we will live in an attitude of worship. That, God, however we go about our days, however we live our life, we will live with an attitude of worship. When we come together to praise you and to worship you. We will not go through the motions, but God, we will come together to worship you. That God, everything that we do, we will do unto you, Lord God. I pray tonight that there will be impartation that will take place and that we will not be the same. And what we receive here tonight, we can take with us and let it, Lord God, reign in our life. Be a part of us and, oh God, produce good fruit. Lord, bless us as we go tonight. We thank you for your presence. We honor you for being our God and our King. We ask you all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen.